0: This is the Pain Matters Podcast with Professor Laura Mamosley, hosted by Master Sessions. Follow the podcast and you will get the podcast as soon as it is released. Thanks everyone, take it easy and we're looking forward to your comments. This is Pain Matters with Laura Mamosley, hosted by Master Sessions. My name is Bart van Buugel, I'm a pain specialist physiotherapist and... We're going to, I think, Loz, we, we still got our guest. So that's quite yeah. good. Uh, look, I, I couldn't resist to get Brian back. So um,
1: Brian Pauling was chatting to us about this paper. Um, that is the first phase of developing a scale to uh, interrogate or, or to investigate and understand how people with uh, painful arthritis, make sense of their situation, their pain, their disease, their prognosis, what it is, all that sort of stuff. Um and then we we got talking about the next study, which has not been submitted yet. Uh but it's a really groovy study. And I think it points to where Brian's research could feasibly head the field. Uh and so Brian, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's great so to I'm be here happy. again. Um so network analysis what what is a network analysis within the context of your work trying to understand it, develop a scale by which you you assess how people think about their osteoarthritis related pain
2: Look Lorimer network analysis is perhaps the coolest thing happening in psychometrics
1: today I'm very that excited a, about it that is a very big call I think it's a smaller call once you put on in psychometrics
2: yeah, like if you that has like stopped it a little it's
1: the bit. coolest thing happening. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, maybe why? shouldn't go that What's far. What's cool about it?
2: Why? Because a lot of a lot of psychometric analyses are based on very very old maths. And it's quite boring, uh, very important, but uh, a little bit you know, there are challenges with uh, mm-hmm. with mathematical models that um, that haven't necessarily caught up to the advances in in computing that we have today. We no longer have to write out factor analyses by hand. We can now do many, many, many. What is a factor analysis? Hundreds Oh, that's a that's a whole other thing, Laz. Um psychometric theory tries to look at well, if we can ask a person a question, we might be able to understand something that we can't observe. So we can look at latent or unobservable factors Mm -hmm. uh, or um basically by using questions questionnaire or survey items to evaluate um, observable uh, variables so we can ask a person mm-hmm. a question hopefully that gets at something deeper within them so for example depression is not observable you can't see depression
1: but you can but some see people some would argue the... against that right what do you, what do you well, say to the person who's listening to this and saying no hang on i i know when my partner is depressed you know, when your
2: partner's depressed because of the signs and symptoms of depression that they exhibit. Uh-huh. So they might have um, poor mood, poor sleep, decreased activity, things that relate to this um, underlying condition of depression. Depression's mm-hmm. an incredibly complex example, so perhaps not the best for mm-hmm. this podcast, but that being said, um, but it is, it's incredibly complex, and you can't. Ask a person really to rate their depression from zero to ten. Arguably well, you can't do that not? with pain I, I, either. I, I that's bet you, I, Watch, watch, this. watch because this. It's quite complicated.
1: Well, no, but I can ask you to do it. Uh, would you <laughs> would you please rate your depression from zero to ten? And why is and that? And I would say, you know, I would rather not. Right.
2: It's difficult because uh, because depression is is so complicated that there are there are many, many, many factors that relate to the experience of depression. And so true. So too is true with pain. Mm-hmm. There are many, many, many things involved in the conceptualization and experience of pain.
1: So he's asking and... someone uh, to write their pain, a uh, should we not be doing this, Brian? How do, we, how do we get a That's... feel for their experience in a, in a quick moment? But you mentioned last time we chatted, you've got 10 minutes uh, to get something across. Uh, within the context of time, poor clinicians, how, how useful is it to be able to say on a scale of zero to 10, how bad's your pain right now? It can be very useful, but, and there's always a but. I heard once that
2: asking someone about their pain, asking someone to rate their pain, Intensity on a scale of zero to ten is like asking someone to explain music only in terms of its volume. Yes, it's useful. It can give you information about the song, but it leaves a
1: whole lot of detail out. And I think that um better assessments. (laughs) That's great. We should get the um Strong Songs guy, the only podcast I've listened to, Strong Songs. It's fantastic. Um he might he might have an interesting angle on that. I love that idea. And we we do talk about uh, intensity versus unpleasantness. And Absolutely. people say intensity is like the volume and unpleasant is like the nature of the music. However, interesting systematic review from Kerwin Talbot in our group, uh, interrogating that idea that there are distinct dimensions of pain. Uh, published in the British Journal of Anesthesia, conclusion, I think, was pain is a unified... You know, a single very complex phenomenon or or experience. Anyway, we're we're so off topic and I, I really want to get onto <laughs> network it's the best. analysis. Um, what well, we how did use... you use this sophisticated maths? How how would you yeah. use the sophisticated maths to improve the way we treat people with osteoarthritic knee pain?
2: Well, in this study, we use network analysis to look at the relationships between different questionnaire items. So when people answer a questionnaire. Um they may re- they may answer similarly or differently to some questions than others, and that can give us really important information when the content of that questionnaire is about what somebody understands, what they know okay. and believe, for example, about pain. So in the context of something like pain science education, uh, when we're trying to teach people about pain and help them understand pain in a new way, we first, need to know how they understand pain beforehand
1: right now uh, yeah, in cool. order to
2: figure out what are the most important target concepts or, or key things to, to zoom in on how do we build a curriculum for an individual this has sort mm-hmm. of been a big problem of a lot of um, a lot of the pain science education trials that have gone on in the last however long pick a time period uh, a lot of these talk about, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could individualize this? If we could make it easier for a clinician like BART to maximize that 10 minute session with their patient by targeting mm-hmm. what that person needs to know. And it's not just about facts either, it's about their beliefs, their attitudes, their comprehensive and indeed complex understanding of this condition. So we use network analysis to create a framework. This allows the clinician, like BART, for example, to maximize their 10-minute session by targeting the specific elements of that person's comprehensive and complex conceptual framework uh, to the specific elements that are most important to that individual. And this is something that we haven't really been able to do with questionnaires historically because of limitations inherent to uh, the way we develop these questionnaires, but new methods like network analysis as we've discovered can help us uh, hopefully develop more nuanced more comprehensive and more individualized assessments that can give a clinician much more information much more quickly than they might Mm -hmm. normally be able to get from a single you know a a questionnaire with a single sum score at the end because having one
1: score at the end doesn't really give you a whole lot of nuance sure so uh, i'm thinking of two things here is a network analysis then Something that a researcher does on the basis of a whole lot of data and then produces a a key set of items that a clinician can get and then get their patients to complete. And then tickety-boo, the magic happens and out pops uh, a sign that, oh, look, this person uh, has... is these misconceptions are probably barriers to recovery in this person and here's a way you could address them or is a net is a network analysis something that a clinician will do in the clinic i
2: would say it's the first one for now this is a very rapidly wow. evolving field we are we are in rapidly changing and evolving territory so network analysis as an idea isn't particularly new it's it's from sociology, actually, but we're applying it in very new ways Uh um, in in just the last few years. So the implications for this are far reaching. And um, the way that clinicians might use this in the future, uh, well, we can only speculate, but we've started, we've got a starting point. Now we have a framework that clinicians
1: can start to test right away, which is very, very exciting for me. So um, how did... How did you get into network analysis? Who's who's the person that triggered this for you? Is there someone who's written on this or, or you've chatted to about this? Yeah,
2: there are, there are a few. Um, Adela Isvaranu is one of our co-authors on the project. Um, she works at the University of Singapore and she's done some incredible work on ap- applications of network analysis to um, psychology and, and to various psychological disorders and how people... Um, Think and including you know, depression. Context: uh, I don't know if she's actually looked at depression, right? Um, but in the context of pain, it can be really exciting and really interesting to use these new methods because of what they tell us about things that we've assumed for a very long time. I think in our last episode, we were talking about this: I, these these issues where you know clinicians or or researchers just know deep in our bellies that certain ideas are really important about, for example, right. how the, the brain produces pain uh, as, a detect- as a protective response. And sometimes our patients disagree about what's mm-hmm. actually important to them. Mm-hmm. Network analysis can give us a really important insight about where some of our efforts might be wasted, where we might yeah. be working too hard to try to change someone's mind when it might be more efficient to change their mind about certain concepts that then can have ripple effects throughout their complex, oh. uh, their complex uh,
1: conceptualizations. So, so if in we a way, mind about... are... sorry to cut in on you there, Brian, in, in a way it sounds like this has the potential to allow us to, instead of having to uh, identify a whole range of conceptual barriers to uh, changing behavior or activity or, recovery you might be able to find the key dominoes uh, and once you can well tip them over bang you get you get the job done a bit more easily the other thought that I had That's as right. you were talking I, I wonder if what you're moving towards with this uh, within the pain education space is a accelerated or um, supercharged if you will version of what I've heard David Butler talk about Um, with respect to the patient interview. Uh, When he talks about the interview, he will continually mark, uh, I think he calls them e-flags, where he's sort of digging around in the experience of of the patient and notices things that he thinks, oh, I'll, I'll come back to that. That's a potential target of education. But it sounds like this may very well be able to, uh, well, I mean, we could never have uh, a portable Dave Butler in every clinic, but gee, the world Always would be a better only. place if we could. Um, Absolutely. But maybe that's where it's that's where it's going. Well, this is all rooted in educational theory. I
2: mean, you know, we talk about pain and health, but really, these issues aren't relegated to just pain science education. We're we're really talking about education about how people yeah. think and learn and how we can evaluate that. More effectively, because if we can evaluate what people already know, we'll have much more information to help us, you know, identify the most important things
1: um, mm. for them to learn about in the future. Terrific. Um, I'm I'm reminded of one thing. So one thing you you said um, you talked about all the. Uh, all the randomized controlled trials, the clinical trials of pain science education that have done this and that. And for the sake of clarity, I would probably want to modify that sentence to say all those clinical trials were of uh, pain neuroscience education, the, the type of education that was first developed 25 years ago and has certain uh, learning objectives and strategy and content and. Uh, and there are, to my knowledge, no clinical trials uh, around sort of the explained pain, pain education space that have deviated from that yet, although you and I both know that they are underway because we're doing them. Um, and that speaks to this shift uh, away from the label of pain neuroscience education to what we're now involved with through studies like yours, you know, really trying to use educational sciences, educational psych uh, to optimise the return on investment for educational strategies and to use all the other sciences of and around pain. And hence, I mean, I know why you use the phrase because that's the phrase we now use in our, in our group uh, and it's the phrase now given to where the field is at, just to try and differentiate it from the old, version which is very didactic and you know reading something out to people or giving people a book or opening up their skull and shoving in explained pain and expecting that's going to change something um we know it has a lot more to do with
2: it has to do a lot more with a lot more than just memorization of facts
1: uh absolutely i mean what the the exciting thing about all of those clinical trials 78 clinical trials now uh that clearly show that on average it's a good thing to do. Uh, But what we now do in pain education is it's almost unrecognisable from what we were doing in all those clinical trials. And it's anecdotally and the clinical experience and the patient experience is way better. Uh, And we're now getting to these stages where smarty pants like you are doing smarty pants things like network analyses to accelerate even further the return on educational investment in, in our clients and consumers in general, and I would say the general public in general. Anyway, that's for another episode. We are out of time, Brian. Uh, but thanks for being a fly on the wall again. Anything you'd like to add or
0: no, oh, I'd, like I'd like to leave it here. I think this sort of has um, uh, clarifies some of the things we've discussed in the previous podcast uh, with Brian, and I, I think we all feel the need to have a different framework whether education can be a therapeutic tool um mm-hmm. as you need to know what skill set you need to create, for example and um my my gut feeling as a as a as a as a clinician. I don't think I need to know more about pain than I already know. I, it always feels mm-hmm. like the more I know about pain and then and the neuroscience and, and stuff like that, is it get more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets more sure. complicated in a clinical interaction in a way because you have to select. And it's not like trying to flood your patient with all kinds of material and, mm-hmm. and information, but it's hard to find what is actually really the, the key thing here. Uh, so I've always felt comfortable with my skill set improving in in connecting with the patient know where they are, for example, as, as Brian noticed that so you have to that their, their, their existing knowledge, their existing feeling about that knowledge is more important than trying to put as much information in this person as you possibly can in 10 mm-hmm. minutes. So I guess that's it's a very practical. So everything that makes it more easy or having a framework will be very helpful and very welcome in the field. There's also some very cool
1: data from the education space around those observations that uh, some of the more powerful uh, determinants of learning in the education space are your previous learning history. So uh, what what do you think about learning? How good a learner do you think you are? What do you feel uh, when you're in a learning situation? The answers to those sort of questions are related to uptake of learning objectives from meta-analyses involving, uh, I'm pretty sure, millions of participants. Like the, the evidence out there in the educational and learning fields is extraordinarily massive. And in the pain and health fields, we're only just getting into it, uh, and so we've only started talking exciting. about.
2: We've only started talking about explicit assessment. We haven't even gotten sure. to implicit assessment, so yeah, we'll have yeah. to leave that for another episode.
1: Outstanding. Let's put that on the list. But implicit assessment and. Um, And then how do we differentiate explicit? Anyway, let's do that later. Brian, thank you very much for joining us on Pain Matters. It's been great to have you. Pleasure as always. Ciao.